Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in the industry right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale Spangler. And this week, our guests are Jesse Ziegler and Lucas Eddy of the Cycle News Extreme Enduro video series, Superhard. Moto America is the official sponsor of Pit Pass Moto. After record attendance and extreme coast racing at Laguna Seca, Moto America now heads to the Land of the Lakes in Brainerd International Raceway in Minnesota. See, hear, and feel 190 mile per hour superbikes, as well as five other classes of racing as they take on one of the best road courses in America. Brainerd will host seven racing classes, including the ever popular King of the Baggers. Get your tickets in a camping spot today at MotoAmerica.com and follow Moto America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. As we mentioned in last week's episode, before we get to our guest, we're excited to continue with our new Pit Pass Moto weekly segment, All Access, where we share power sports industry news and observations we find to be interesting and relevant at the moment. This week, Dave's going to tell us about his experience at the AMA Vintage Days this past weekend. How was that event this past weekend? I'll tell you, Dale, always one of my favorite events, and this year was the 30th running of the AMA Vintage Motorcycle Days, and they hold out at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course down in Lexington, Ohio. And it's almost always hot and humid and a good chance of rain, but really just the largest motorcycle swap meet, national uh, championship vintage racing in just about every discipline because they do uh, road racing, motocross, trials, and and enduro racing. It's definitely one of the must-dos if you ever want to see old motorcycles and just take it all in. I think the best way to describe the event, it's a circus that's joined forces with a rock festival and put it on wheels and add in some racing in hot and humid weather. And that's pretty much uh, AMA Vintage Motorcycle Days, but uh, definitely a good time if if you love old motorcycles and want to see just about possibly every make and model that you can conceive in your head. It's usually at this event. Tell us about this. uh, The swap meet just seems like it's absolutely fascinating. From what I understand, just, just looking at their social feed too, and I'm sure you could back this up, but wow, just every you can pretty much find any type of motorcycle, parts, whatever, accessories, you name it. It just seems like a super popular event. Yeah, if you're a restoration person like myself, 
and I will say a few parts found their way into my trailer and followed me home, you're going to find it there as long as you know what you're looking for. And there's everything from vendors that are just, you know, everyday people selling replacement parts to full-on vendors such as David Silver Spares or the Pet Owners Group that are selling, you know, all of the restoration pieces. So if you're trying to make that vintage bike whole again, this is really a good place to go look for that doodad that you're missing or that one component in addition to vendors that are selling complete motorcycles. In fact, I noticed this year, probably more than ever, that there were more vendors selling complete motorcycles just row after row of every model conceivable that you might be looking for. If you're a Hodaka fanatic, you probably would have found uh, one to buy there. So pretty cool to see and uh, really exciting to see the enthusiasm of a lot of young people that are really taking in this show and, and getting into the sport of vintage motorcycling. And for me, that just, just shows how healthy and strong that particular segment is. Yeah, I'm kind of starting to sense a theme this summer with these you know experiential outdoor events. I just recently went to a Lumineers concert here in Boise, and it was at the you know Boise State Arena, Extra Mile Arena, and it was absolutely packed, just sold out. Everybody totally into it. You know, watching Washougal on TV this last weekend, that place looked like it was at capacity. I don't think I've ever seen it that full in in years. And so it sounds like this same same thing at this event. You know, thirty years in, which is already that's pretty incredible. That's already thirty years this event, but it just sounds like it it was packed and people just really having a good time enjoying it. Packed is a good way to describe it. As soon as you hit the gate, you can tell. And I've been there probably at least fifteen years in a row. This was probably the best attended event, and I really kind of had my my thoughts that, well, with gas prices and this increase in COVID situation lately, that it might affect this particular event, but no way. It was packed to the gills. Parking was a premium. Everything was a hike to get to because it was so spread out. But uh, like you said, the enthusiasm, I mean, you're just feeding into that vintage world where a lot of people are looking and buying old motorcycles because of the nostalgia and they're also fulfilling their maybe their youthful wish for a certain model that they want to own, and this is the place to find it. And then not only that, it's the the racing on the racetrack. They run on the uh, road course, and I mentioned earlier the the motocross and the enduro racing and the trials racing, and they hold these events over the course of three days. To see the smiles on the faces of the riders and the people competing, it's really not so much about a trophy, but just kind of reliving a memory maybe, just having epic fun from the day you get there on Friday till you leave on Sunday afternoon. Now, they had some weather this year, as they tend to. Uh, Saturday afternoon, the skies cut loose because the, it was 90 degrees and humid. And when you're in central Ohio, that usually leads to uh, epic uh, biblical amounts of rain, and that's that's what they had. So that kind of put a damper on things a little bit, but it only delayed the schedule slightly. They continued racing. You should see uh, some of the pictures online of the uh, – mud-soaked, smiling participants coming off the racetrack. So that was pretty cool. I think I saw some uh, some muddy vintage riders doing the hair scramble, which that looked pretty fun. And is the moto, I'm curious, is the moto track still kind of in this, the same general vicinity it always has been, like from back in the GP days? No, actually, that's, uh, that's a track I've competed on myself. That is uh, in a different location. That's on the opposite side of what would be the main freeway. This is actually a, a setup that they do at the road course track here in Lexington, and they set up a, a motocross track that's more tailored to that vintage crowd. So as you can imagine, the jumps are lower, and, and it's just not as gnarly a track as you might see in a modern situation. So uh, it's more tailored to the to the era of bikes that are going to be competing on it. 
They do that special at the road course. They actually set it up near the entryway, just off to the left. And uh, that's where most of the spectators can see all of the action on the track. Did you get a chance to get in any uh, pit bike racing? I saw you took your, looks like your KLX down there. No, I would have liked to, but... uh, Dave's KLX is a little bit modified. It's got a sidecar on it, so uh, it's not exactly (laughs) race ready. But it's really good for hauling beer and picking up more useless motorcycle parts to bring home to my garage. So, and it definitely uh, fulfilled its destiny and brought some parts back. So uh, it's mass chaos because there's motorcycles going every which direction and everybody can ride anything they want, anywhere they want. Somehow it works and, and nobody gets hurt. We just have a blast. This is a mecca of vintage motorcycle racing. There's two events like this in the United States. This is probably the bigger of the two. If you're a motorcyclist, I think you got to make it to um, AMA VMD. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. They're the co-creators and co-stars of the Cycle News video series, Super Hard. Jesse Ziegler and Lucas Eddy, welcome to Pit Pass Moto. How are you guys today? Man, I am doing great. This is Jesse, and I'm really glad my motorcycle's not upside down, spilling fuel on top of me at the moment. <laughs> it's great to be here. Appreciate it very much. I'm Lucas from Climb, and it's nice to hear Jesse not out of breath for once. Or complaining. Well, let's talk about your video series, Super Hard. I think it's absolutely a brilliant series. You guys have done such a great job of just showing what Hard Enduro is about, what goes on, what goes into it. Tell us a little bit about where did this idea come from and how did you come up with this idea to go torture yourselves in the U.S. Hard Enduro series? Yeah. Oh, geez. Like all really good, bad ideas, it's kind of hard to pinpoint where exactly it came from. I know that I've been a Hard Enduro fan for a really long time. I think one of my first press junkets that I ever went to when I worked at Dirt Rider back in 2006 was to Erzberg. And I went there and I rode a KTM 950 Super Enduro for a press event. But there's also the incredible, you know, Erzberg rodeo going on. So I was following it as a fan a bit. And then I got the job at Dirt Rider. And then I got the opportunity to just go and see it and like blew my mind away, obviously, because the skill and like the talent and the niche sort of gnarliness of that sort of sport angle is just crazy cool and nothing but mad respect for everybody that's good at it 20 years later (laughs) and lucas and i come up with this dumb idea to go start racing them i guess i really don't know where it came from to be like hey we should do this and make a video series lucas do you remember i know exactly where it came from good because i don't in october of 2021 Klein got an opportunity to go to the sea to sky hard enduro in turkey So we spent a few days there and raced in southern Turkey and made some quick little videos about it. Jesse texted me. Of course, I'm sharing it with him. Like, hey, Jesse, check out what we're doing. 
and he's like, oh, cool invite. Thanks, dude. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it started kind of as like just a rough idea to do something similar in the U.S. with climate and cycling together. And then we kind of started getting more and more serious about it in the months after that, after October. But I think I have a screenshot of that text somewhere, like, cool invite, bro. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. And then it evolved from there, right? It evolved yeah. through, like, we should we should do a video series. And then it got to the point where, like, well, I think Lucas and I are both pretty sensitive to the influencer fact of the world we live in, where everybody and their dog is an influencer of some kind. And a lot of them are pretending to be good at things that they're probably not that good at, just for the fakeness oh, of yeah. it. <laughs> and Lucas and I are pretty honest with our ability and our skill set and sort of the social responsibility we have not to be d-bag posers in the world so i think we went into it to show like the real side of hard enduro how it takes normal people really long time to get through these obstacles that the aliens and heroes of the world make look really easy and to just kind of showcase how much fun it is to be in uncomfortable situations and super hard was born it took off we started with an idea and it's kind of merged into its own little animal now that has a bunch of different opportunities ahead of it. Right. Exactly. We just kind of saw the, saw the opportunity to, to showcase how cool the people in the community and the sport are because everything we see on the pro highlight reels looks super cool, but it doesn't always look attainable for regular people like us. So we saw this opportunity and kind of the value in sharing that, amateur boots on the ground perspective to encourage other people to try racing of any kind, really, not just hard enduro, because it really is an experience that you can't get just trail riding and having fun with your friends on the weekend. It really is different and it's definitely worthwhile. I definitely get the the idea that it's your goal with this was to really show, make it accessible, relatable. I mean, it's <laughs> hilarious at times too. Like you guys just crack me up. Some of the stuff that like Jesse says when he got crashes are just like, I, I look forward to it almost. I'm sorry, Jesse, but, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's just, it really just shows you what the true reality is of a hard enduro. And so I think you guys have done an absolutely great job of capturing that. It isn't filtered very much. <laughs> the footage is pretty authentic and, um, it is kind of fun to laugh your way through it a lot of times because you're in a pretty ridiculous situation when you're in these races. And if you're not going in with a decent sense of humor, you're going to have a pretty miserable time. And you see those guys on the trail that are, they have these expectations of themselves that day that they're actually going to be good at this. And that's rare to be good at hard enduro. <laughs> it's really hard. Even the best guys are like, man, I wasn't very good in that one spot today. If you go into this thinking you're going to be having a great day all the time, you're going to get mad in a hurry because the world is against you out there in a hard enduro race. And if you can't have a pretty good sense of humor and laugh off, you know, your bike going the opposite direction you want it to, then eh, it's going to be a tough day. So that's kind of where I, I try to take it most of the time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very much about making sure that you can just ride in a way that makes you satisfied and keep your expectations very realistic because surrounded by people who are a lot better than you, it's really easy to make your expectations higher than they should be for yourself. And then that's what Jesse's talking about is you can get really mad really fast when you yeah. can't do something that someone can do who's a lot better than you are. And you just kind of have to just enjoy it and have fun on your own and, and ride your own race. Yeah, you're in your own you're in your own challenge and you're putting yeah, yourself up against yeah. yourself. And hopefully you have an idiot friend along with you like I do with Lucas that <laughs> you can just really have a rivalry against and really look forward to beating. Kind of watching these events from from your point of view that the way you do the video is 
you have these intense moments where it's just gnarly, hard, impossible to you're sitting there for five minutes waiting for a bottleneck to clear or whatever. And it's just just kind of contrast to me is just so bizarre to watch what I call sanctioned motorcycle abuse that you guys are perpetrating on your vehicles. Yeah. If you think of hard enduro, I tried to explain this in the last episode because we get a lot of questions like, why would you, why are you, why, like, why, why, why are you doing this? This is, looks stupid. Like you look like you're not having fun. You're breaking stuff and you're not even going very far. Like it sounds like a terrible trail ride, but if you're there in the mix, it's a lot different. Like if you take that commitment and pay your hundred bucks and you commit to racing this or just going through it with your buddies, you're in that in a different world. And the best way we can explain it is is you like enter an obstacle course race or a mud run or a Spartan race or some of these really like things you would never go do on your weekend unless you entered a race with your friends to do it. You would never go run through mud puddles under electrical cables that are shocking you for a normal weekend unless you and your friends talk or you talk to your friends into it. Like that's how these work in general. So the contrast between like sort of like accomplishing something and just sitting there and suffering is real because that's kind of how these events are designed. <laughs> They're designed to make everybody go as slow as possible. If you look at it from your perspective from the outside without actually entering it, it does look kind of dumb. Like we don't look like very smart people. But if you're in it, your mind switches over and you're like, I could see trying to push my bike to the top of this mountain before Lucas does. I think that I could do that today. And that's worth it for me. <laughs> they throw some stuff at you, as, as you just described, that uh, really has you contemplating your existence when you're sitting on the motorcycle seat. Which do you guys prefer? Do you like the technical se- sections or do you really just prefer those maniacal, impossible, I don't know what you'd call them, obstacles, I guess, that the, the, the uh, promoters like to throw at you? Oh, I think the balance of hard enduro is one of the most difficult things for a promoter and course designer to perfect because you're asking a lot of these they're virtually volunteers right to create a course that caters to skill levels from average person like jesse to tristan hart who's unstoppable to person this might be their first motorcycle race so you're trying to get one course in a remote area that you can send 300 people on and it covers that whole thing and they all have a good experience. A challenging experience, but not impossible. Not too easy, so it's not too fast, but also not too long of a race. It's virtually impossible to do this. So as we've seen even this year, every race promoter has gotten a lot more conscious of the fact of creating different lines for different skill levels, separating the classes into multiple places. And all that does is complicate their work and take any profit they have out of the equation. And they're still doing it. They're still committed to making it happen. So when you're out on the course, you kind of do get a mix of that. Personally, I kind of like just over technical trail riding to where it's challenging, but I'm not off of my motorcycle. (laughs) That'd be perfect mix for me. If I'm still riding, but the riding is really hard and I'm almost jumping off my bike to push, that would be like the perfect mix, which I think is impossible to find. But just to give everybody a perspective of what, is going on on those race courses and what the promoters have to do, you're going to end up kind of bored on a fast section sometime. And you're going to end up having people help you pick your bike up over obstacles too. So I'd like to be right in the middle, but that's not very possible. My favorite types of sections are those that are more physically demanding than technically challenging. 
obviously it is technical, but what I mean by that is not like huge single obstacles like what we would see in Page, Arizona, or in Billings, where you have really big aggressive moves and then maybe a quick break and then another big aggressive move up or downhill. I much prefer like the long, slow grind that you can get at Silver, for example. There weren't very many of those at Donner, but there are some where you're just you're just going uphill for like what well, feels like 40 minutes and there are just no breaks because that's a good mental challenge. You have to just get to grind it out. You get good passing opportunities there, which which makes you excited, which is fun. I would say probably similar terrain to what you're describing, Jesse, where it's just technical, but not stupid, impossible. And it lasts long enough where endurance comes into play, where fitness comes into play. So this question is for you, Lucas. When I moved to Idaho, I've been here 20 years now, but when I first started riding out here, it took me a while to get used to riding at elevation in mountains because when you grow up as a flatlander and you're riding, you know, you're at 8,000 feet and there's a, you know, a scree run off the 1,000 feet down off the side of a trail, I mean, that's a little unnerving. So did that take you some time to get used to kind of adjusting to that Western style of riding after moving out west? Honestly, not too much because I didn't I didn't really start riding dirt bikes until I moved out west. I rode dual sport bikes and kind of rode like two track forest trails and that kind of stuff in Michigan. But I didn't have much experience on like true small dirt bikes until I moved out here and started riding actual dirt bikes. So kind of the whole learning curve happened all at once. It's not like I had much of a background to work from as far as dirt bikes were concerned. That's interesting. Yeah, it's probably, I don't like heights, so that's probably yeah. working against me in that case. But <laughs> each of you guys, have, well, I, I think, Jesse, you did three rounds, right? And then four rounds. Lucas, you did four. Was there a favorite that you did and uh, like a gnarliest one or scariest one that you did of, of the rounds you did this year? I think Paige was the hardest for me. It's the first round, Paige, Arizona. It's basically like slick rock, red you know, super abrasive rock, really exposed. There's zero vegetation out there. And the exposure you get from the obstacles there is really intimidating, especially since I've never ridden there before. My extreme enduro practice involves putting tires on my bikes at the moment. So I'm not like out there actually practicing these events at all. And I got there and rode around, made some mistakes, almost fell off some really big exposure things into sand. And it just kind of freaked me out. So <laughs> it was kind of sketchy. That was probably the hardest one for me, I think. When we got to Billings was the next one up in Montana. I felt a little bit at home because I am from Montana, even though I've never really like raced an extreme enduro at the Billings Motorcycle Club ground. I have been there a few times. That was probably the most fun day I had just because... The terrain in Billings, the massive hills and the Bentonite clay hills, the traction, the way they built the course, it was kind of like a fun day of riding your dirt bike all day. There's plenty of challenge. Like, I don't know if you saw the video where my bike flips over down the mountain and like steep, steep up and down terrain all day long. It was surprisingly fun. That one surprised me. It's like the most enjoyable day on a bike I've had in a long time. Weather was totally crazy. Terrain got super slippery as it got wet. There's plenty of like, you know, riding buddies pulling bikes up of upside hills and stuff. So it had like the good mix to me. And, and honestly, Billings just surprised me so much. So I think that's why I really had the best day there. And then the third one I did was Silver Kings. Like you mentioned, I did three this year. And I think Silver Kings showed me that, that it has like the highest potential to be the grandest event 
in the US series. I saw the potential there. I got stuck a lot there. So my day wasn't as epic as I thought it could be. But I can see the potential there. And the terrain is kind of more in my alley, like the forest, rocky, dark soil terrain. It's kind of like where I feel at home. It didn't work out that way for me. But I think it has the the most potential to be probably the best race in at least in the Western US, if not in the whole US in a couple of years. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Jesse. I think silver silver has the most promise there just with how much could be done over the course of multiple days and with that particular environment, the sky is the limit there. No pun intended with the mountains. To sum it up, I almost have to agree with Jesse for the most part, but I think I think Paige God, I love hearing that. I love hearing you agree with me. That makes me so happy. <laughs> It, you have to you have to value these moments because they don't happen all the time. Page for me was the most physical. That was the hardest race. I think I pushed myself the hardest on that race, and I placed the best there. Like I was most satisfied with my result from Page. Billings felt like the scariest one for me because in that particular race they had the pros and the A classes ride the same course, so there were some absolutely insane, like almost vertical looking faces we had to go up, and some some drops that looked like they were undercut where you would have to like loft the front wheel over this gap going downhill. And that was really intimidating for me. That was stuff that I would absolutely never, ever ride if I was there just with my friends. Like, oh, you want to go up this? No, absolutely not. But then in a race, <laughs> like you have to go that way. And you've seen, I mean, 20 or 50 people have already gone up it. So obviously it can be done and you just have to figure out how. That was the scariest for me where there were some downhills and uphills where I was like, this is, this is really not comfortable for me. But then still did it, you know, and that's the cool thing. Circling back to the beginning of the discussion, you learn a lot more racing like this than you do on just a a fun trail ride. Like you really see what you can do, what your bike can do, and it totally expands your skill set. So it's super cool. So I I do feel like that did happen at Billings, but it was definitely scary. (laughs) Yeah. And then I think, I think Donner was just a standard race. Like the, the format was a three, three and a half hour hair scramble. I got tired. I wasn't, satisfied with with the brain space at that race just kind of went too hard too early and then just couldn't get in the zone was super tired but that was just like a standard race like it wasn't wasn't anything that stood out in terms of being too scary or too hard or anything like that it was just a good solid race and then silver silver has the most potential for sure that one was physical it was challenging there were some good cool sections beautiful scenery if they can make that race into legitimately like riding on the bike not just waiting in bottlenecks, but riding on the bike for six or six and a half hours, that's going to be kind of the race to beat in the U.S. I was thinking about your bike tumbling down the, the mountain, Jesse, and yeah. I don't know if you're like me. I pay for my own parts, and uh, I've got this calculator in my head, and every time I have a bad get-off, before I even hit the ground a lot of times, I've already added up what the retail total is on the fenders and handlebars. What's uh, what's some of the worst damage you've seen? Not not your own bikes necessarily, but of a bike at, a, at one of these extreme events. Oh, geez. Well, personally, the bikes are honestly incredibly resilient machines now. Like, I'm not sure. My first year racing motocross in Montana, I spent hundreds of dollars every moto on stuff that just fell off and broke. And I'm doing things to these bikes that should not be done to motorcycles. And I think I've I've replaced like one rear fender this year, two pipes, which I mean, pipes are kind of disposable on the two strokes, some grips, you know, from getting torn off and levers. And honestly, that's about it. The bikes are really resilient. So the parts bill isn't, isn't that terrible. I'm really surprised so far. We have good protection on radiators, good skid plates and good stuff like that. But really like you're going to spend more money at a 
at hard enduro buying tires because the tires are expensive and they're absolutely necessary. Like you have to have a really good gummy tire at a hard enduro and it's worth the hundred, 150 bucks, whatever it costs that week due to inventory to get like a Dunlop AT81 gummy on your bike. Like it's, it's, it's worth it. So that's where I think, and Lucas, you could probably agree with me here is that's the most expense is gobbling up tires because you want tire traction for sure. Yeah, big time. And it's often one one tire per race. If it's a big gnarly race like Paige just tearing your tire up, Billings was the exception. Billings did not destroy the tires hardly at all. They were pretty much brand new after that just because of the soil there. But most of the time, it's it's going to be most of a tire on a full race, unless you're really, really good at not tearing your tires up, which some people are. Uh, but if you look yeah, at the Yeah, I think pros, this is a good point to make sure everybody, pit, and everybody should understand that we're not really good at this. No, no, we're not. But if you look <laughs> so, at the pros, like they're coming in and if they have laps, they may be getting a new tire every lap or every two laps. And that just shows you how how incredibly important that, that gummy rear tire is. The front, you'll see people roll up with worn out front tires, you know, and it's it's not going to be the end of the world. But almost everyone, you look on any start line, it's going to be a brand new $100, $150 gummy rear tire every race, guaranteed. But I haven't seen, I didn't see a lot of carnage on other people's bikes either. I mean, we saw at the Bill, the cool thing about Billings is they had a hill climb race before. So I did see a motorcycle break in half and catch on fire at the hill yeah, climb. That's ride. the worst one. <laughs> that was amazing. And yeah, we'd go see that again because that yeah. was fun to watch. But here, here's the thing about the parts bill is if you wanted to keep everything in pristine condition, you would be constantly replacing almost everything, right? Like yes, the it's not a cosmetic. The things get scratched. Things get scratched and, and a little bit beat up, but they're not really getting destroyed. Like we don't see bikes getting totaled. Probably the most common thing is that rear fender just gets just gets snapped off, depending on which <laughs> bike it is. Or when you're <laughs> Yeah, I think I had yeah. I zip tied my rear fender and it's still running strong. I, I fixed it with zip ties and it's the same fender from Billings still. Uh, I don't it just think depends I've... on how proud you are of the look of your motorcycle at these events. If you're a graphics <laughs> yeah. and like anodized wheel kind of guy. You're going to be spending a lot of money. But if you're like, I'm going to put a Cycle News sticker and a Climb sticker on my really roached out front fender and that's my graphics, then you're going to save some money and you're going to have a little bit more fun at Hard Enduro. Because it's not really like a, I don't know, what do you want? What do I want to say? It's not like, it's not a sticker in bolt on. Yeah, it's not all show track. and all no go like the no, motocross track. You, no, you don't get not, the posers. It's not all hat and, you know, no cattle sort of a world. You kind of have to, you have to show up and use your equipment there or else it's going to stand out that you're not really riding because your bike's going to look too pretty. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be obvious. It's going to be obvious that you're not there for the right reasons if you show up with the prettiest bike. So hard enduro in general, it just, it's been around a while now. It seems to me that it was maybe kind of a European invention. I could be off base. I don't know. Nope. You're right. Who do you guys, and you can both pick one. I could be way off base, but who do you consider the godfather of, extreme enduro and i'm thinking guys like graham jarvis or mm-hmm. david knight or those kind of names always come to mind when you think hard enduro who do you think really is the is the godfather of hard enduro for a long time hard enduro was a european only entity and for sure it started out some very very cool classic races in france started it and then expanded into other countries and in Europe and you know the the Americans are trying and they've been trying for a long time to be on that radar you know events like last man standing in Texas a Red Bull event and you know there's been plenty of good events and now TKO is really like the leading event in the US that showcases 
the dedication it takes to make a world-class event. And hard enduro has changed a lot since those original events. I mean, like full-on endurance events that last a lot longer time through much more challenging conditions probably. And now they're somewhat more condensed for you know TV show purposes or for terrain purposes and for bikes, and it's more exciting this way. It's not like it's easier now, but just the whole concept has shifted a little bit more to be a little more digestible instead of having a you know 18 hour race they have you know four hour races now or something like that so the racing is awesome and cool and it'll always be one of the coolest things in the world to watch as long as you can appreciate what those people are doing i think godfather wise i you can't say that graham jarvis isn't the godfather of modern day hard enduro in my opinion because he's still like 100 competitive at the top level and he's been doing it and winning for a very long time <laughs> and he's he's got incredible skills and at the same time you have people like taddy blazuziak that you know at one Erzberg multiple times in a row just dominated the scene as he came on as a young kid without a contract and he won ama enduro cross multiple times in a row and he's the type of guy that could probably win again and you know you can't really write any of these guys out even though the new talent is out there and very impressive people like Manny Letton Bickler and Billy Bolt and those guys are coming up really strong but guess what there's more kids coming up too like Tristan Hart from America or from Canada and Ryder LeBlond another North American kid like those guys are going to start knocking on those doors too so it's just like the OG godfather like yeah David Knight was unbeatable in extreme enduro for a while it was awesome to watch. And he also won ISDE overall. And he also won GNCCC championships. Like, who can do that today? Specialize in all of those disciplines of off-road racing and beat a dominant force in each one that he enters that year. Like, that's going to be hard to match ever. If anybody can ever match what David Knight did in his prime, I don't know if anybody can do that. So it's kind of hard to say who the favorite OG is. But, man, there's a lot of awesome athletes that have hard enduro on their resume and they're just the cream of the crop in my opinion i think graham you got to go with graham for the godfather i mean not just because he has been competitive for so long but because he's still completely competitive now yeah you know no nobody else has really had that staying power yet and i'm sure i don't know who else will for that long going forward you know just because now that the sport is being publicized and there are people who are training specifically for it not coming to it from a trials background or coming to it from a traditional enduro background there are people now who are like being born directly into the sport. And that's going to, that's going to present a challenge for the people who are like Manny and Billy, who are, who are not 16 anymore. They're in their mid twenties. You know, there are people yeah. who are coming in, you know, don't even have a driver's license yet. And they're extremely talented on the hard enduro. We'll see if there's anybody who can stay at the top as, as long, long as, as Graham. Graham has. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be tough. Like the guys, he's, always somewhat of a favorite every race he enters because he's always there. He's always in the top four. He's crazy good. Yeah, it's hard to bet against Graham Jarvis when you think about him being the GOAT just because, like yeah, like you said, it's the longevity of his career. It's pretty incredible. Like He seemed like he was there from the start, and he's still competitive at the age he is now, and it's uh, pretty interesting. So one last question, guys, before we wrap up this week's episode. And uh, So what's next for the... Uh, for the super hard video series, are you guys going to do the TKO round? Let me say that correctly. It's TKO, or is that on the docket or not? Are you guys done with that I series? I have never this year? done trying to beat Lucas Eddie at Extreme Enduro races. Let's just put that on the record. 
right now. It will never be. <laughs> first of all, it'll never stop until I beat him, and then it will never get old beating him once I do beat him. That will be constant for as long as motorcycles are around. Number two, we have a couple things coming up with TKO and super hard. TKO is a logistical problem for us poor people on the West Coast because it's so far away. But it's not impossible. Nothing's impossible. So we have opportunity to get out there, compete, participate, cover the event in a super hard way. We're still working on the details of that. We're trying to get Lucas a private jet, but the super hard budget is not there yet. So TKO is a question mark, but a potential yes. We are working on that. But for sure, we are going back to Turkey for Sea to Sky. With Climb, we're taking season two of Super Hard. We're going to put it on the Climb channel this time, and we're going to go do the Sea to Sky, total Red Bull Sea to Sky, you know, FIM World Hard and Draw Round with two idiots. They're going to let us come and race it like a bunch of morons. So that's going to be on the docket. And then probably some more stuff being announced in the not too distant future, right, Lucas? That all sounds about right to me. The Super Hard team is taking a trip internationally and It'll be over on the Climb Channel. Season two will be a quick one covering the whole Sea to Sky experience on the Climb Motorcycle YouTube channel there. And then season three, probably back in the U.S. Hard Enduro Series next year. I'm not speaking too soon for that one. I don't know. We got a lot of we got a lot of people we could embarrass them between now and then and just get ostracized from the whole industry. So that's not impossible. That could happen. Well, the whole super hard series is super awesome, you guys. So appreciate your time today and can't wait to see the next few episodes and, and what you guys get up to. So once again, thanks for your time today, guys. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd really appreciate it. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog, listen to past episodes, and get your very own Pit Pass Moto swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, producer Leah Haslidge, and audio engineer Eric Colt now. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale Spangler. See you next week on Pit Pass Moto. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.